three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Innovating for the Earth, in which we tell the story of an Australian company, Calix, whose technology, a reinvention of the kiln for big industrial processes, is helping many industries operate in a more sustainable way and emit less carbon dioxide. The unsung heroes of this world, in my opinion, are engineers. Sure, people talk about Einstein and Marco Polo and Shakespeare and Steve Jobs and Winston Churchill and Nelson Mandela and Rihanna. And yes, good on them, amazing stuff. But the fact is that none of these high achievers would have been able to do much at all without engineers. Every time you drive on a road or a bridge or through a tunnel or get on a bus or a train or enter a tall building or open your laptop or tap on your phone, You're only able to do it because of engineers. Maybe someone else had the idea to build the road or the laptop, although engineers have plenty of ideas. But engineers turn those ideas into things that actually work and that we can use. Without them, we wouldn't be able to go anywhere or do anything. So let's examine how the engineering happens in Calix. Matt Gill is a Calix project engineer which is a typically anonymous engineering title, right on brand for the the behind-the-scenes loving engineering profession. Matt's LinkedIn profile doesn't even have a photo. It wasn't easy to find out about him, but I've discovered he, he graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering from the University of New South Wales in 2011. In 2012, he joined Calix. His first job was as a mechanical engineer for the Calix Flash Kelsiner. He helped develop the ActiMag product. In 2016, he worked in Europe on the LALAC project, then back to Australia, where he was in charge of developing an electric Kelsiner for processing innovative battery materials. In 2019, Matt became the engineer team leader and... Here he is, Matt. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Um, thank you, and welcome to you. <laughs> why did let's go right back? Why did you st- uh, decide to study engineering? Why did you want to become an engineer? It's an interesting question. Uh, I guess I didn't really have any direction up until the end of uh, high school, uh, yeah. and then I was doing the usual university um, sort of open days, inspection days, and came across uh, what is known as Formula SAE at the University of New South Wales, which is basically Each year they build their own new race car. Um, Myself, being involved with motorsport as a kid, this sort of triggered the, I'm going to do engineering. I want to do this. I want to get involved with with designing and building a race car. It fascinates me. And and that triggered it. Um, I was always mechanically inclined, but I guess I never really had the direct direction as to where I wanted to go. Yeah. And and that was a light bulb moment for me. That's so Um, interesting, isn't it? Because when my dad tried to explain to me how a lawnmower worked. I just blanked out. I didn't even hear it. So it is interesting how some people, you know, some brains are drawn to that and, and, and some aren't at all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's um I think the Dilbert the comments is is precisely based on the you, you know, there's one particular one where it's talking about the the son is pulling pulling something to pieces and he goes, Oh well you've got an engineer, the doctor says, because of the way he's deconstructing and reconstructing it. <laughs> I think fundamentally that that is ingrained in, in the majority of engineers out there. They, yeah. they have to know more than what the visual shows you. They want so to know a, how it's, it works. it's a curiosity. It's a curiosity, yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for better or worse in some cases, but it's yeah. A, yeah, definitely. And so when you graduated, why did you join Calix? 
Ah, it's an interesting story. There was no direct uh, uh, line I was looking for to join Calix. I, I'd been travelling Europe post-university, which unfortunately kids can't do nowadays, but I came back and uh, accidentally uh, crashed my car. Oh. Um, uh, Simon Thompson, who, who I believe you've already interviewed, yep. uh, sent out a message to it, to the group of people involved with the race car uh, saying, you know, they're going to go to LinkedIn and advertise this job. Uh, happened to be on the day I crashed my car, realized I needed some cash to get into the workforce, and and I applied. Uh, and that, that started my relationship with Calix. Now, uh, it sounds like that relationship's not built on much, and, and yes, at the start it wasn't, but uh, once I joined Calix and got involved with what it is, uh, my, my mentality towards the world and how we have to to work towards you know ensuring that future generations can uh, live here in a, in a nice environment yeah. changed. It, it, it basically sparked that in me. That And so when you joined Calix in 2012, was that ethos of innovating for the earth, the title of this podcast, was that clear to you then or did it kind of arise gradually over the years? No, it was definitely there from the start. The, the leadership team had this vision to to develop this technology that will help society as we move forward through this, this evolution we're going through. Um, and as, as I mentioned, you know, I, I didn't have real any direction through high school and then university where I wanted to get involved with this, trying to save the world, trying to, to make it a better place for the next generations. So I, I, I was, let's say, the complete opposite to what the management had, but I was exposed to what was happening and what we right. needed to do. And, and that changed Changed me. It connected with you. It connected with me. Okay. That, that showed me what we needed to do, how bad the situation was, yeah. and where we need to go. So that's big picture, and we've talked about that a fair bit on the podcast. In this episode, we want to get into the nuts and bolts of the engineering. What was your first job? What did you have to do? Oh, my first job. We were at okay. that stage. We had a we had a concept, a concept of the technology. They'd proven it on a small scale, uh, which is you know relatively easy. You don't have the constraints of trying to make something commercialized. So we were trying to take this idea, this concept, and and make it large, make it effective, make it cost uh, cost effective and, and efficient, so that we could hit those targets, those dreams. Uh, so we were molding it to try and make it large scale, large scale. You mean the calciner? The the technology, yeah, the yeah. the, the calciner. This this. And what did that concept. actually involve? Like, give us a, a snapshot so, of an hour. What sort uh, of a problem or a challenge might you have been so grappling with? To, to begin with, you know, we we're all sitting in a room, a bunch of engineers, Simon, myself, and a couple of others, and and we would we had this say we had to design a heat exchanger for it, and this is a conceptual heat exchanger, but we needed to bring it to life. So at that stage, we were hand sketching and then taking it through to uh, a CAD design, which is a 3D model, and then doing the calculations. And so in the background, while you have this pretty image on the website of, say, a, a segregated uh, furnace, calciner, and then reactor, yep. we were we were at that stage, but developing it in a real world situation. We were making sure that it, it would work, it would look this way, it's going to function as we are predicting. You know, it's funny when you were saying that. I've been in a few writers' rooms for TV shows, right? And it made me think of that because you've got a number of people in a room. They've kind of got an outline for what they want the show to look like, but they're going through and and filling in all the details. And then in halfway through episode four, there's a problem, and it looks like the whole show might fall apart because you can't work out how to solve it. And then you all have a terrible day. And then the next morning, someone thinks, "Wait a minute, what if we do that?" Is it kind of a little bit like that, but totally different? Precisely, except yeah. the probably 
the difference is you go out and have a few beers as a group and then you come up with all these ideas that are outside of what you perceive as normal yes. limitations. And that's when that click happens. And, yes. And yeah, and then we all come back together, discuss it, and it's, it's and, and then perfectly. And then I guess the next step is trialling it and then seeing if it fails or, or succeeds. Precisely, precisely. Yeah. Well, and, and then if it fails, not saying, oh, no, we've failed, this is a disaster. Why did it fail? Why did it fail and how are we going to fix it? Yeah, what Let's, bit failed? Yes, exactly. Finding that weakest link and making it as strong as the rest. So you're like a detective. In a way. You could say so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Basically, you're trying to find where you made the mistake because yep. it was your design originally and resolve it. You know, you're trying to to make sure it's all as strong as each other. Yeah, right. And so there must be, you know, great highs and lows there. Oh, we failed again. But wait, it's because of this. Maybe if we use that. It's definitely an emotional roller coaster. You, yeah. you know, it's it's a mental hit when you realize you got something wrong. But you know you have the ability in the background to to resolve that and, yeah. and build it again stronger and make it work. So, Can you yeah. think of a specific example of that? Definitely. We we have this this device that takes up the expansion in our reactor. So as we heat up, the metal obviously expands. So you've got to seal that process environment from the atmosphere environment. Now, this is occurring at incredibly high temperatures and, and it's very difficult to work. So we've gone through three or four design iterations where we've had complete failures each time. Um and, and basically on the third or fourth iteration, we stepped back and said, how can we look at this from a whole new point of perspective? And what we were using is sort of like a fabric uh, expansion bellow. And now we've, we've gone away to a, to a more conventional sort of design where we're using a, a compression seal, um, which is taking up that expansion. And it's working fantastically. It's solved that issue. Right. Uh, but there are a lot of lows during the times where you'd spend all this time, energy and effort to, to come up with a new design and then it to fail yeah. reasonably quickly. Yeah, and 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 what sustains you through them? Kind of the larger vision or hope? Yeah, that- well, you know, you, you know, you have the ability to solve it. It's just right. making sure you find that that solution. So yeah. you, you you're treating it as an educational experience where you you've you've learned to, you've got a bit more data here. So you know, okay, if you're walking down a path, that path's not going to lead you to a solution. It's going to take you to a creek. Whereas the path here will take you to a bridge that'll get yeah. you over that creek. And, you know, there's still a mountain you've got to climb later. But you're at least moving down further along that path yeah. towards that that optimised solution. I mean, it's like if you're reading a murder mystery, if the detective kind of in Chapter 1 thinks, yeah, it was definitely that guy, we, we got him. It's a pretty bad story, isn't it? Yeah, so exactly, precisely. It's not very satisfying. Whereas all the challenges and whatever make it... Precisely, and I, I think that's the function of an engineer. You've got you've got to expect those those non one hit solutions. It's going to be a, a growth path that you all have to go through, and that that yeah. you have to educate yourself better on. One of the themes we've heard a lot of in this podcast is efficiency. That that we're not just trying to create something. Okay, maybe we've created something, but now it's a matter of improving its efficiency and making it. Four percent more efficient, and then maybe next year another three percent, and maybe the year after another one point six percent. Efficient. I mean, would you agree with that? That it, oh, a hundred percent. You just got to look at any technology in history. You're always trying to make it more efficient. Whether in if you look at internal combustion engines, from the carburetor through to fuel injection, through to hybrid, through to hopefully fully electric vehicles eventually. Yeah, that's just the natural progression as you get more and more efficient. And and my working hypothesis is that engineering isn't just a job, it's a way of life. And in fact, some of you engineers try and make your whole life as efficient as possible. You and Simon Thompson, I understand, used to see how optimised you could get your trip to the airport uh, going to and from work, yeah? Definitely, definitely. So while we were building the plant, we were based down in Bacchus Marsh, but we'd come back for the weekend. So Simon and I were in an um, endurance go-kart racing team together. Right. Which meant we had... 
we we would finish up late at night because you know we're during construction. You're trying to get everything done, so we'd get a little bit of sleep before jumping on the plane to come to Sydney. And uh, you know, we we knew we had about forty to forty one minutes to get to the the airport park and get in. Um, a couple of times we may have been on the other side. You know, they say you got thirty minutes to check in. The Qantas systems at that point gave you to twenty seven minutes. So <laughs> we we knew we knew. And of course, you worked that out. We worked that out through. I'd love to say through. Um, uh, good means, but unfortunately we missed a few flights as right. a result of that. <laughs> well, trial and error, yeah. failures and, and exactly. improving your systems. Um, and in terms of uh, testing and uh, new calciners, you used to put food in them, is that right? Precisely. So um, there's always been this concept that, you know, we could make this perfect um, calciner that you'd put in mints at the top and get this perfect, you know, Hamburger. grilled at the bottom. Right. Um, Unfortunately, we didn't want to leave meat through the reactor, so we, we, we picked out the best alternative, which is popcorn. So we do the popcorn test. So we drop popcorn and, and you know, so the how, ice. how far did you drop the popcorn? Uh, so so in our Bacchus Marsh reactor, it's about 42 metres above. Right. So you tip popcorn in? Well, unfortunately, we weren't quite hot enough at that stage, so right. they just came out as hot kernels down below. But, um, you know, we're working towards getting the, the popcorn to, to actually pop. Right. But um, birds also were a problem in that calcina. They used Bur- to oh, come they, in, did they? They came in and ate everything. So, um, you know, with, with in a, a plant, you have communications going between all the different sensors, and, and birds, unfortunately, love to eat cables. Um, oh. That results in, you know, component A not talking to component B, and you're sitting in the control room, you know, getting frustrated why it's not all working because, you know, it was working yesterday, and, uh, yeah, the birds had ripped up all the, the cables. So, what do you do about that? Oh, you are you ignore it for a while. You try and work around it, but then eventually you've got to go replace it all, and then engineer a solution. Yeah. So we tried all the you know fake eagles, etc. But oh yeah, unfortunately none of that worked, and we had to put up uh, mechanical protection over all the cabling. We used to have birds. They seem to have stopped now, but would just walk into our house and do a poo and then walk out again and kind of look us in the eye and say, huh. Uh, so we bought we bought a couple of fake owls and we saw all the birds in our backyard, four of them just gathered in a circle looking at the fake owls. I'm sure they were saying, I reckon they're fake, they never moved. And then after a while, one of them kind of walked up to the fake owl and just walked around and walked into a house, did a poo. So They're very persistent. It's like that, isn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. So when you finished the flash calciner, what did you do next? Ah, we, we completed the flash calciner. At that point, uh, Calix was learning how to – learning what the technology was capable of, and we started moving towards this um, product called magnesium hydroxide. Yep. Um, we could produce magnesium oxide outside of our calciner from magnesium carbonate, and – we were we were trying to make this stable slurry, which we could sell into into the waste waste water market yes. uh, or pH stabilization. Um, so finishing that up, I was then involved with um, some Adam Vincent, who's part of Calix and, and runs the the lime business now. But at that stage, I was working with him to develop the magnesium hydroxide slurry, which was a lot of trial and error. Yeah, and and tell us about the learning process. Like you came in fresh out of uni. And you're doing all these things. Now you're moving on to a very different project. Did you know some organisations they teach you by standing behind your shoulder and not giving you much responsibility. Some organisations they throw you in and say good luck. How did how did it work for you in Calix? So Calix was a real relatively small team when we started. We had a big vision but a small team. Um, luckily, the the upper management had a lot of trust in us, so they threw us in with a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Um, and and we. 
it was a single swim situation. Um, I, luckily, we all swum uh, and we got out of it. Uh, a lot of this was outside of probably what you know university traditionally teaches you. It's very you know structured and you follow follow this. Whereas in the real world, there is a lot more variables. There's there's managing people, managing costs, managing time, managing expectations, and that that's not really conveyed in a in a university educational sense nowadays. Yeah. Um, so that was a big learning experience. And and while Calix did support that when we needed it, they also entrusted us to to develop our own our own experience through it. Right, right. And that's probably not for everyone. But No, not everyone, but yeah. um you know, it's 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 a so great you concept. had to be kind of flexible, adaptable, kind of learn on the run, I yeah, guess. Yeah, learn on the run, learn outside of obviously magnesium hydroxide developments a much more chemistry based. So you're also learning outside of your traditional um, educational stream. So, you know, they, they supported that and and you know it, it gave us the ability to learn how to to gather information and assess situations yeah. that are outside of our wheelhouse. Yeah. Now, in that period, am I right in thinking you were talking about how you didn't really like what birds were were, were doing to the uh, the Kelsiner before? But didn't you swerve off the road to avoid a bird with a six hundred and fifty litre tank of diesel in yeah, the back un- of a ute? Unfortunately, yeah, that did. And it you did must really come... like birds. <laughs> uh, at the time, yep, I was I was watching out for the bird. Post the event, wasn't yeah. as happy with the bird, but yeah, unfortunately, it slid off the back of the ute. The uh, tie down straps uh, failed. Um, and it happened to be when all the media was in town that week. Oh. Um, but luckily, some some guys locally came and helped me get it back on the ute, and I limped back with uh, my pride, <laughs> a little damaged, um, to present a damaged ute back to uh, the, the Bacchus Marsh site. So we've been talking about some of the engineering challenges that you faced, but then as you get more se- senior and experienced, you become more aware of time pressures, deadlines, and money pressures, budgets. So when you throw those two variables in the equ- equation, how much does that complicate your job? Um, is it interesting? Are they difficult things? How do you go about meeting those challenges? No, it's very interesting. When you're a young engineer, you're sort of oblivious to some of it. You, yeah. you know there's a deadline, you know there's a budget, but someone else is managing it. Yeah, so it's, it's their just, problem. It's their problem. It's outside of, say, the, the core engineering you want to do, number processing. So when you throw those in the mix, suddenly you've got multiple hats on, uh, which you're trying to manage, both delivering the engineering to a to an engineered optimized solution, but also delivering to the budget and then delivering to the timeline. So you learn to manage those three main sort of drivers to ensure that you're you're delivering the best optimal solution you can. Yeah. So so it's quite an interesting path to to learn to to which one becomes most important depending on right. the deliverable. So, so you could have a, a, a great product that's going to take ages and be too expensive. You could have a second option that's going to be quick but even more expensive and a third option that will be a little bit slower but it will bring you in under budget and you've got to kind of toss around all those things. Precisely, precisely. Yeah. You know, there's the traditional triangle which has like quality, cost and um, time and you can pick two, not three. Anyway, right. It's always the always the case, no matter do they, how. Do they teach you about the traditional triangle at uni? No, I don't. I don't remember coming across yeah. it <laughs> because it's always optimal when you're doing engineering at uni. That's right. <laughs> you never have to worry about deadlines or money. It's about making it uh, perfect. So it was it pretty stressful for you learning all this stuff? Stressful, definitely, definitely. But it's exciting because you know it's it's something new. It's it, you're yeah. getting to peer behind the. The, the front facade, you can just see how it all works. So yeah. as an engineer, you, you love that part. You want to see how that goes. And it, it, it's another another part of the equation about delivering a solution. So it's it's exciting. Let's um, 
let's bring in a fourth variable, people. So as you become more senior, you start managing um, managing people. How would you find that? Yeah, it's interesting. Engineers aren't known to be great at social situations. <laughs> so, you know, there's a, a, a bit of that's true in everyone, but not ever, not, not, you know, the, the mold doesn't fit everyone as well. So no, it, I, I've learned a lot. I, I must admit, I was always a very passionate person. Um, and some of that passion can be perceived incorrectly by, by other people that aren't, don't get to know me. So, um, I've learned to, um, adapt to each person. Each person's different. So you got to learn right. how you're communicating with them, how you're engaging with them. Sounds like you might have been being a bit more gentle. Is that what you mean? Yeah, you could say so. Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. I'm just uh, reading between the lines. Yeah, a bit more gentle, a bit, yeah. bit not so so black and white. So you yeah. know, there's there's a full spectrum out there. You got to you got to focus on and and make sure that you're not forcing one person into the other. The other part is you're you're helping someone build their career. So you want to make them the best yeah. person, not just deliver what you need. You need to make them grow into this this perfect. That's very well said, actually, because when you start managing people, you probably think they have to. They have to perform these tasks for me. I'm delegating them this task. I need this task done. You think about the task. Yep. But what you've just said is there's a transition from that, I think, to thinking about it from their point of view and how you can actually build their capacity and skills. Definitely, definitely. And that those first few years, particularly we're bringing on a lot of young engineers, is, is very fundamental to, to getting them ahead of the game and getting them ready to, to perform at the best they can. And we should put you on notice in a few minutes, we're going to talk to one of those young engineers so and Perfect. see if all the things you're saying <laughs> about about uh, how great you are at this are correct or not. Um, do you enjoy that aspect of it, training? and? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. I think um, it's it's very rewarding to be able to to pass on mistakes you have made and, and, and help people not have to go through all that yes. and that they can learn from it. But also you, you, you've got to let them make their own mistakes and, and then show them how they can um, learn from that and, and, and use that moving forward. Um, Calix has also set itself very strongly as having environmental values. That is, we're not just here to make a profit, we're here to help make the world sustainable. As someone who every year becomes more of a leader in Calix, do you have to kind of learn to model those values, to walk the walk? Definitely, definitely. Calix itself has a um, a sustainability program, which is is covering the uh, the UN's sort of targets for for twenty thirty and beyond. So we are closely encouraging those values into everything we do, from the project management and engineering. Um, but it's also educating the young engineers and, and and other team members to understand that these are these are important facts to to deliver on what we're we're saying we do, and that. It can't be just up the front end. It has to be in the back end as well. We have to see that sustainability, that in engrossed in everything we do. Yeah. Well, that's what being an engineer at Calix is like from Matt's perspective. Let's get another point of view. Claire de Jacoby de Vallon graduated with a Bachelor of Chemical Engineering from RMIT Uni. She joined Calix in January 2021 as a process engineer, working on trials and developing test plans and uh, much more, and joins us now. Hi, Claire. Hi. Why did you join Calix? Uh, well, I was graduating at the end of last year, going through the graduation process and applying for graduate positions. Um, so I was doing that typical search for different uh, positions to apply for, and I saw the ads pop up for the position at Calix, uh, and it stood out to me. I think the work just seemed interesting and different, and um, I think 
even at uni, this start, uh, we started to have more of an emphasis on uh, environmental and sustainable considerations um, and, and how these issues have arisen from, you know, previous industrial processes and practices that we've been using. So when I saw the ad, it uh, seemed like a, an opportunity for me to be part of the solution rather than contributing to the, to the issues that we're seeing. And, and you've heard what um, Matt said about being an engineer at Calix, and we should clarify, are you technically Claire's boss? Uh, yes, yeah. All right. So we want you to speak freely, and uh, I'll get Matt to say something that nothing can be held uh, a, a, a against you. How, how have you – I mean, you heard Matt talk about how different working was from what they teach you at uni. How, how have you found that? Yeah, definitely. I think I was quite pleased to see that my, my knowledge on foundation – were applicable um but yeah what you learn at uni is just uh, probably not even one percent of what you learn outside of uni um so yeah it's been a huge learning curve for me to stop thinking theoretically and actually taking that knowledge and applying it to real life uh practices and uses and I asked Matt to, you know, go back 10 years and describe a typical hour, if you like, of his job. Give us a typical hour of of your job. Oh, it, it varies a lot. Uh, I, could, I could be operating a plant. I could be um, assisting with process design work um, and data processing, looking at results, developing trials and test plans of things that we want to test in our plants. Um, yeah, it, it varies from day to day. Yeah, yeah. What's Matt like to work for? <laughs> Speak freely. Um, yeah, yeah. Take I'll your headphones off, Matt. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, um, I think he used the word passionate before, and I'll definitely agree with that. Um, I think Matt has very high expectations and standards for all of us, um, and that's a good thing, especially for someone like myself that's recently graduated um, and I'm learning all sorts of new processes and doing things for the first time. And it means that I know that the things that I'm learning and the work that I'm doing is is done properly and accurately and thoroughly. Um, so I think that's really important. And he also, again, I think he's already said this, but he gives me the space to make those mistakes um, and learn from them. And I think that's really important to my overall understanding and professional development. And you mentioned before that creating a more sustainable world was one factor in your decision in deciding to apply for a job with Calix. Sometimes, you know, you could be in a in a company that's doing something and, and your job's so specific and small, you don't really feel connected to the bigger purpose, if you know what I mean. I'm just wondering how connected you do feel to that purpose. You know, if you're kind of aware of that all the time or it's something you just think, oh, right, and we're doing something kind of cool as well. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, everyone that I work with, regardless of whether they're on the engineering team or not, has, you know, sustainability and environmental considerations at, at the forefront of their minds. So um, it, it just seems to be integrated into everything we do. Um, I don't think it's necessarily uh, one example. I think it's just making it part of everything you do. Yeah. And, and Matt talked earlier about, you know, the role of an engineer really being to try and fail and work out why you failed and, and uh, you know, try again and keep going until you work out 
how to solve the problem. Have you, have you experienced much of that and how do you find it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, I, I think again, it was already mentioned that, you know, at uni you get a perfect problem that has a perfect solution, um, which is definitely not the case in real life. Um, there's been a really exciting thing to be part of where you can try new things and whether they don't work or they work, but they need to be improved or yeah. And you try again um, until you get something that, that functions, that works. And it's a very exciting moment, but it can be a very frustrating process as well. Yeah. Yeah. And have you been uh, exposed to the world of, of budget and deadlines yet? And how are you finding that? Uh, probably not budget. Uh, deadlines, but I've got my own personal deadlines, which I've always been one uh, person who likes to stick to their deadlines. But uh, definitely I don't have the accountability attached to those larger deadlines with projects. Yeah. And would you want to, you know, the the fourth variable we talked about is managing people. Is that something you'd like to do down the track? Or do you want to stay uh, away from them? <laughs> I think it would be something I'd like to do. I think it's probably the area I would need to improve the most in. Um, it's, yeah, it's something that I, I've not had experiences at all. And I think, you know, people who go into engineering don't necessarily set out to be managing people. Um, so it, it would definitely be something that I think I should work on and that I probably would like to do uh, with more experience, but that's a, that's a true of many people in all sorts of industries. Actually, they they're a you know a watchmaker or a, a pharmacist, and suddenly they're running a pharma a pharmaceutical store or running running a watchmaking team. Did you get specifically trained in management, Matt, or did you just kind of pick it up? Uh, I was lucky enough just to pick it up, and and clearly it hasn't gone too badly based on Claire's praise, but. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Well, she is, you know, you are in the same room. <laughs> so, no, no. Virtual the, room. Virtual room, yeah. yeah. No, the, 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 there was no direct training, but there has been a lot of support um, yeah. when I've made mistakes. So, again, the, the culture within Calyx of, of supporting people when they they can go out on their own limb and, and make their own mistakes and learn from it. Yeah, yeah. Um, what advice would you have, Claire, for, uh, you know, uh, someone in their final year of engineering about about your experience and about things to look out for I guess in deciding what they want to do I I've had such a great experience and I know that's not everyone's experience um but I've I've come into a workplace that yeah that's very supportive that allows me to be independent and make my own decision um so I don't know if I have the best advice for that. Um, what about what about something you wish you'd known in January 2021? You know, something you think, right, in April I worked out I needed to do this, not that. Um, I think it's probably just the willingness to make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, coming from a sort of more culture of tests and exams and assignments and wanting to get, you know, 100% on them, uh, it's, it's not about – it's not about getting everything perfectly right the first time. It's about trying something, reviewing it, and working out how to do it better. And you don't really, I mean, I, in my experience, you don't learn much from success. You just tell yourself how great you are. You learn from failure. Yes, definitely, definitely. Any thoughts on that? Oh, definitely, definitely. You don't want to succeed. You want to fail and build it up. <laughs> it's been my life experience so far anyway. <laughs> and what about you, advice for a 
a final year engineer or a new engineer, some mistakes you made that you might be able to help them avoid? I think early in your career, you, you you tend to be a bit standoffish. You don't want to get, you don't want to push yourself into the conversation. You, you you assume these people that are above you are know all the answers. They have all the solutions. But you know what you should really be doing is getting in and questioning everything they do, not in a disrespectful way, but as in an inquisitive way. Because you know they're going to bring you in. They're going to get you more involved, and you're going to learn a lot more from that. Um, I think we need to encourage more and more of that to occur. Claire, what do you think about that? I mean, it can be quite, I, I think, quite difficult when you're new at an organisation, even if they say, ask any questions to have the confidence to do that. How did you find that? Yeah, definitely. Something I am still definitely working on. Um, but, yeah, it's it's the willingness to ask questions and not uh, to realise that not everyone expects you to know everything straight away. And then I think another probably step further than that is to put your opinion forward to question things and ideas that other people put forward and yeah and to um yeah to review it and yeah and have, have you done much of that yet uh oh, my opinion will sometimes be put forward yeah good, good. <laughs> um, but yeah definitely working on it still and it is it it, it can be quite daunting going yeah. into a meeting or a room with all these really talented passionate people and and having the confidence to to express your thoughts. Do you do you have that thing where you're in that meeting and you want to say something and you're like running it over in your head like five times exactly how you'll say it before you have the guts to say it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, the microphone gets turned on and off a few times <laughs> to try and pick the perfect moment. <laughs> do you, do you still have that or you just say whatever you think? Oh, I've always just said whatever I think. Yeah. To... But you would have you would have been like that when you started, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always been a bit, let's say, arrogant. So I, oh, I got forward yeah. and, and and had my say. And, and you know, uh, unfortunately, when starting with Calix, we were involved with a lot of consulting companies for the first project, and there wasn't there wasn't a lot between myself and Simon and management. So we had to deliver, and which meant we had to get in in front of these these senior consultant engineers and tell them what we wanted and tell them what we thought was wrong, and we found mistakes in a lot of their work unfortunately at oh, that time. Really? Yeah. yeah so I, and I think that 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 has developed a lot within calyx to, to support this sort of get up tell your opinion you're looking at it from a different perspective to even what I'm looking at it and it doesn't mean that that's incorrect you know we all as we get older become you know horses with the blinders on we, we, we look down one path and it's nice to get the the young fresh views on uh-huh. a project. And that's interesting because it, it, it ties in really in, in an interesting way with what you were saying, which is so true about how at uni or at school, you're wrong or you're right. Um, not saying that schools and unis don't support people to say, go go away and look at what went wrong and da-da-da. But, you know, you are particularly in, you know, math, science, engineering type questions. Four plus four is eight. You're right. If it's not eight, it's wrong. So it, it is an adjustment, isn't it, to that way of thinking? Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah. yeah. Uh, being young, you kind of see the world black and white and it's a whole lot of grey. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, it's very interesting talking to you both about about what it's like being an engineer in Calix. Um, I was kind of hoping Claire would come in and just blow everything Matt said out of the water, but you've kind of been pretty much consistent. So, look, thank you very much, Claire, for joining us. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you for having me. And thank you very much, Matt. 
Thank you, James. Thanks for joining us on Innovating for the Earth. Talk to you next time. 